This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It is a rate the transfer edition of a kick in the grass. Dan Riccio in with special guest co-host today, Manuel Veth. You can follow him on Twitter by his name and follow me at Dan Riccio underscore if you are enjoying the show hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcatcher so that way you never miss an episode we do release them each and every monday and we appreciate it if you'd leave a review as well our guest today will be forge fc coach bobby smirniotis fresh off winning a second consecutive north star shield in the canadian premier league Uh, let's get to the show manuel how are you thanks for uh, stepping in for jeff blair today yeah, I'm doing really well, and I'm really looking forward to this show. And you know what? What's the best thing about today? The smoke is gone, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those of us here on the west coast of Canada, we've been living in a uh, cloud of, of smoke, uh, haze, over the last couple of weeks. And uh, now that uh, football season is back into full swing, I guess uh, the smoke has cleared with it. Uh, so just to intro you, I mean, you've been a guest on the show a couple of times, um, but for those that are new to Manuel Veth, um, he is uh, area manager for Transfer Market USA, uh, Transfer Insider, I like to find him, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you can believe his news, which is always uh, very important these days in social media, uh, Bundesliga for Forbes, and uh, of course with the Gagan Pressing podcast as well with Chris Williams, who was a guest on the show last week. Uh, you've got a, quite a few hats that you wear, Manuel. Yeah, I, I guess. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, I used to be a beat writer covering the Vancouver Whitecaps full time as well, right? Um, thankfully, that's not what I'm doing anymore full time, but uh, I do keep a keen hey, eye on hey, all the Hey, they've won three and four. They've won I three know. and four. It's remarkable stuff. <laughs> um, I'm sure it won't last, but it's, yeah, I, it, I do a lot of things. I mean, Transfermarkt is now my my number one thing, and I, I do cover the Bundesliga on there quite a bit as well. I, I give the, the league probably more love than I should, but yeah, um, <laughs> it's a very fortunate position to be in because, you know, especially in COVID-19 and anyone who works in this, this business knows that journalism is especially hard hit right now. So having a full-time gig like that is, is very nice, um, and I do enjoy it. I do enjoy the Transfermarkt business. I think it's always... One of the best parts of a football season is um, all the rumors and all the things that are going on behind closed doors. I, I find it extremely fascinating. Yeah, and uh, I, I want to promise all of the listeners, uh, it's no BS when Manuel is is tweeting about transfer news. This is not uh, tabloids conjuring up stories or others rehashing news that isn't really their own. Uh, Manuel, with your ties to, to Germany and around Europe, I mean... Um, you know, one of the things that's that's cool that you do or had been doing before uh, the pandemic hits, you know, you'd, you'd go over to Germany, watch games, mm. uh, make connections, do all those things uh, a few times during the season, which um, is very difficult to, to yeah. do and to make happen uh, for, for those of us that normally cover the game here in Canada. Yeah, I think it's very important though to, to go to games. And I tell you right now that um, once we are allowed to do it again, um, then I will definitely start doing it again too because uh, you know last year I was over there about seven times. I have very strong connections to the, the Bundesliga headquarters in Frankfurt, and they're very accommodating to journalists covering the league. Uh, you have to give them a shout out. They you know they really do ensure that 
um, foreign journalists or journalists that are based abroad can cover the league in depth. And I think that's very important. And then, of course, when you go to games and you get to talk to players, you make make those connections and you make those connections to journalists that, that are there as well. Um, so I do get, I don't, I don't want to say I get every transfer correct. I do make mistakes <laughs> as well. It happens. And it usually is because not because it's, you know, it's wrong. It's because things change. Um, I think this is the number one thing that have, you have to understand when you when you cover transfers. I, I won't go as far and say um, it's because agents are talking and they're changing their opinions. That's usually, you know, when and it's still agent talk, that's not sources for me. It's It has to go a little bit further than that. Um, but we do get things wrong, but that's not because we are wrong. It's because things are never 100%, right? That's just how it is. And football is one of those things. Um, I get asked every day, like, do you think this transfer is done or is not done? Like, how sure are you? And I'm like, I would never say 100%. Um, you know, there is for me, the, the mantra is the, the a transfer is not done until you see the player hold up the shirt um, <laughs> after he signed the contract, right? Because we have seen people grow, crawl out of uh, MRI machines doing a medical <laughs> and saying that they all want a transfer. <laughs> so, yeah, um, nothing is ever 100%. Uh, yeah, and as we saw like a week ago, 10 days ago, uh, Luis Suarez was on his mm -hmm. way to yeah. Juventus and now he's on his way to Atletico Madrid and Alvaro Morata is uh, leaving Atletico Madrid and returning to Juventus according to uh, several reports here on this Monday morning. But um, let's get into some of the big transfers mm -hmm. over the week, Manuel, and we'll, we'll talk about the games as we go through it as well, but... Um, Major transfer news over the last seven days as we get closer to October 6th when the deadline comes for this window. Um, let's let's rank them. Um, so let's start. Uh, the, the big ones uh, that we've uh, decided to, to go through here this week. Arturo Vidal is heading back to Serie A and will join Inter Milan. Thiago to Liverpool. Diego Jota to... Liverpool as well from Wolves and a big money move. Gareth Bale, uh, in <laughs> in the spirit of all these returns, uh, Gareth Bale is headed back to the Tottenham Hotspurs, as is uh, his teammate at Real Madrid, uh, Region, and uh, Sengiz Under to Leicester City, yeah. and Serginho Dest uh, looks to be on his way to Bayern Munich yeah. from Ajax Amsterdam. Uh, how would we rate these transfers? How would you rate these transfers? What is? Uh, we'll start with the best, and we'll move down uh, through the list. What's number one for you? Thiago. I, I think that that's the sort of transfer you don't see very often, because how often do you players of um, his size and magnitude go from a big club like Bayern to another big club like Liverpool. You know, the big clubs don't really sell that often to each other, do they? And when it happens, it, it makes the headlines um, rightly so. And I think for me, uh, Liverpool are getting an incredible player. We, anyone who's followed that Champions League tournament um, in Lisbon, where Bayern just completely played everyone off the, off the field, right? They will understand why Thiago is being so highly rated and the enthusiasm and the the hype that he has created in in, in and around Anfield, um, I think it's it, for me that's the the number one transfer that Jurgen Klopp managed to get get him um, is is significant, and he did he did get him because um, Thiago was pretty much ready to sign a new four year contract at Bayern, right? And 
and then had a last minute uh, change of heart saying that he wanted to experience something new, which is, which is fair enough. He's won everything you can win with Bayern. So um, I think that's for me, that's the number one transfer. Um, the fact that Liverpool got this done. And then on top of that, the day after, signed Jota as well. Um, yeah. So they basically have done two thirds of their homework in 48 hours, um, which is which I think is is incredible because seeing what they did against Chelsea, they are such a good side already. And to be able to add two players like that is, is just fantastic. Yeah, and... My thought on Thiago is just uh, arguably the best midfielder in the world right now. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you put him up there with Kevin De Bruyne and uh, I guess Casemiro might be in that. Tony Cruz is still in that conversation. Um, but to, to also then get him for just 30 million euro uh, for the final years of his prime, it's it's an absolute uh, steal of a deal for for Liverpool and uh, you saw it immediately in the 45 Mm. minutes that he played in that match against Chelsea. Now I know Chelsea were down to 10 men, but uh, (laughs) Thiago just, uh, he, he bossed the game from the midfield as, as soon as he came on, like he had been playing with Liverpool for years. Uh, You were, it was kind of surprising that he was, you know, in his first match with these new teammates. Yeah. I mean, incredible. What was it? The, he broke the Opta record for most passes played by a player yeah. come on in the second half. Yeah, and that's just that's just his first forty-five minutes um, after not training with the team at all. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, pretty impressive. Impressive. Um, I, I, he's number one for me as well. Um, you mentioned Jota or Jota to to Liverpool, and I. I He's not second on my list, but mm. since we're already talking about Liverpool, uh, it is an important move because they've relied so much on their front three of Firmino and, and Salah and Mane, who were brilliant on the weekend as, as they normally are. But with all the games, a compressed schedule, uh, all of them being internationals and, and everything that's going to happen this year in the, the compressed COVID-19 season that we're about to embark on and have just started – uh, they needed better cover uh, in mm-hmm. those spots, and and this provides that he's a young player ready to take that next step into a big club after having shown uh, quite a bit of quality with Wolves over the last couple mm-hmm. of seasons. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think they needed a player like that, right? They needed they needed someone that can shadow that top three, um, and that's very important. I think the amount of games. I mean, anyone was looking at the the schedule that teams that we're playing Champions League that they face from now to Christmas staggering. So yeah, it's getting another player like that. And is is, I think is was very, very important for them. So number two on your list, who would it be? Well, there's been, there's been a few transfers today. I mean, yeah. um, Alvaro Morata is one that really surprises me. Um, I think that, that he is one where I thought I, don't, I couldn't see that. I don't know why Atletico Madrid <laughs> are trading him for uh, Suarez, but well, yeah. so be it. I, I, I bail to Spurs really kind of baffled me in some ways as well, because I'm not sure that um, comebacks are always kind of, they always have the tendency to go wrong, um, right. in my feeling. So it's it's really you know Liverpool have have done have set such a high benchmark with this one that it's really hard to say what's a number two. I do like Arturo Vidal quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought when in his prime when he played for Bayern Munich or before that for Juventus, I, I thought he was a monster in midfield. Um, I, I remember a few years ago I wrote an article on him 
and I, I called it the art of football brutalism, right? And and that's <laughs> that's what he does for me. But can he still do that, right? That's that's a big question for me. And um, yeah, so th th those are all kind of deals where I'm just I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, about any of them, and I can't really rank them second. Maybe Cengiz Under to Leicester. Right. I feel like Leicester are very good at getting the right signings. Like they, I feel they sold um, Harry Maguire at the right time for for way more than he's worth um, mm -hmm. to Manchester United, and they brought in uh, Soyuncu right the year before from Freiburg and to sort of shadow it. And he has been their team has been better since that transfer. So I'm under would be for me, I would almost rank that as the number two, because I just know that Leicester know how to do a good deal. And when they do a transfer like that, you realize, okay, well, they, they must have some, some thinking behind it, right? It's not just like a spur of the moment, like it was with Bale, all of a sudden he's available and we can bring him back. And there's all this, like, this craze about it, but not realizing he's 32 and he spent most of the last two years on a golf play, playing golf, right? So... Yeah, I think maybe Jengis Under for me would be the number two. Yeah, it's um, it, it's a really interesting signing. I also loved their announcement of the signing, mm -hmm. um, using the Under uh, as uh, <laughs> Undertaker uh, to to give the the wrestling reference as they had the the hat and the and the uniform set up there at, at Leicester's Field. Uh, it was great. I I, I love. Uh, transfer announcements uh, like the teams get really creative with them these days um, but it, it kind of reminds me that signing uh, a little bit of um, Mohamed Salah to Liverpool yeah. uh, a few years ago and Salah before becoming the the world-class star that we've seen him at Liverpool the last couple of years has been uh, you know, he was with Chelsea and it wasn't really working out. They loaned him to Fiorentina. They loaned him to Rome and Rome eventually purchased uh, uh, permanently. And then after a couple of seasons at Roma where he was a good player, but by no means the player that we see now with Liverpool, mm. um, he ends up with Liverpool and you see this star come come to life. Uh, and I wonder, uh, after a couple of years of mismanagement with, with Under, uh, if you see him take a next step because he's what just 23 24 yeah. and you know this is this is how smaller clubs without the the funds that we see of of the world's uh you know biggest clubs like the the real madrid's the barcelona's uh the the manchester cities Bayern's, juventus all these teams like but yet you're seeing leicester have a lot of success mm. because they they like you mentioned manuel they they find players that uh, aren't being utilized properly and then they grow them and they're able to sell them on once they're they're at more of a peak level and th that's how they compete for the Champions League titles and how they're constantly churning out stars meanwhile you're seeing so many flops at at other big clubs like yeah. like Barcelona and, and Manchester United and the like and I'm a big fan of signing players because of what you need not because of the name that they carry and I think that um, too many teams, especially you see it in England, <laughs> probably the most, where teams yeah. just buy players for the name and because they can and they don't really look at whether that is actually what they need. I mean, we, we could probably take Chelsea as an example. They signed two wonderful players in Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. 
and yet they they, they still haven't sorted out the, the the defense. They still haven't sorted out their goalkeeping. Um, there's there were so many holes in that in in that side that they had to pluck and they didn't. You know, they basically just added. They they just became more front heavy, right? And and Timo Werner is actually a player who plays a similar role to Christian Pulisic. So. It's like it's just signing players for the namesake. I mean, yes, they add a lot of quality, but is that really what you need? And um, you see that a little bit with Manchester United and their pursuit of uh, Jaden Sancho. I, I, for a long time, while that was going on, I was thinking, why would you bring in a player like that if you have already have Mason Greenwood, you have Anthony Marshall, you have, you know, they have so much talent up front. But what you really need is a central defender and maybe a goalkeeper. You know, mm-hmm. the the fundamentals and. Yeah, you see that too often that, that clubs buy players for the sake of buying players and they don't necessarily spend that extra little bit of attention to see if a player is actually what they need or whether they're trying to find a player who is maybe flown a little bit below the radar but could, with his, with his skill set, really come, come to his full at, by, by joining your club. And I think not enough teams do that. Manuel Veth, our uh, special guest co-host here today on a kick in the grass. So to kind of rank these signings, uh, as it were, as we talked about, uh, Tiago to Liverpool, number one. Uh, I, I throw Serginho Dest to Bayern at, at number two for me, When actually. it gets done. When, when it gets, it done. gets done, yes. You, you, you're always uh, on, on top of that. But yes, it is uh, not yet complete. Uh, what's, what's your latest information on that, by the way? Uh, I hear that an agreement has been almost reached. Okay. So uh, it looks like uh, it is on the way to being done. But as we talked about earlier, those things can change. Uh, Let's talk about the player then. Uh, Specifically, he's wanted by Bayern Munich and Barcelona. So teenager, right back, a lot of talents. Um, Mm. Ajax is return to being a breeding ground of supreme young talent. And I think everything Dest has done so far suggests he is ready to be a fullback at a major club in Europe. Yeah, I mean, the, the only question mark that we perhaps have of Dest is the fact that he lost his starting position um, at Ajax at the beginning of the season. But that could be because of all the transfer talk going on, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes that goes to, to go, goes to players' heads and um, the little bit of clarity that a transfer then provides um, unlocks that, that talent again. Uh, I think that for Bayern, he is a crucial signing. And I know we wanted to talk about Thiago and how Bayern Munich can replace him. I think they're going to try to replace Thiago internally by playing Joshua Kimmich there for, in that role full-time. And Joshua Kimmich has been the backup to the right-back position, right? this season or last season, um, Benjamin Pavard being the number one right back. But you have to remember that neither Kimmich and Pavard are actually right backs. They they were both trained in their youth and their academies in different positions. Pavard is a center back. Kimmich actually already, always played in midfield until he joined Bayern and um, was sort of pressed into that role by Pep Guardiola and done, done a great job at it, but he's actually a natural midfielder. So they're going to, Thiago leaving, that's going to open up that position full-time for Kimmich in midfield, which means there's a there's a gaping hole on the right. And um, they've identified Sejino Dest as sort of the counterpart to Alfonso Davies, right, um, who's playing on the left for them. And we've all seen this Bayern play with an extremely high defensive line, 
very high defensive line and that a high defensive line only works if you have speeds on speed on either on either flank to, to make up for when your team gets caught in that transition right and that i think they identified dest as a player that can play that role really well can be an attacking fullback right like davies and um, just add another element to that team and they like they they like this and this is we, we can't really ignore that fact they like the fact that he's american this is a market that is very important for bayern munich so that's a that's a nice little add-on right mm -hmm. to say like we have an american player we have a canadian player it gives them a lot of um, attention here in north america which is very important for them as a club and they also realized that you know as a 19 year old bayern munich and we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago on this podcast right how they find players around the world they don't necessarily one of those teams they kind of the, le the less the deluxe in, in some ways. They, they, they try to find players that um, can fulfill a need for them and grow in market value um, without actually have ever them having to sell any of those players because they rarely do. But yeah, I think they really identified this as a player that can tick all the boxes for them. And I think he will be a very important signing for them. Number three on my list is uh, Region, uh, Sergio Region to Spurs. I think he's a perfect... Mourinho fullback, yeah. uh, Manuel, you know, speed, uh, athleticism to provide cover and also to uh, provide an extra body going forward uh, as he has some offensive capabilities. Um, and it, it's kind of a trend, I guess we're seeing, uh, Dest, Davies, um, mm. and, and of course Liverpool with uh, Robertson and Alexander-Arnold. Uh, you're really seeing uh, fullbacks be more prioritized, it seems, by a lot of clubs around Europe. Yeah, and as they should be. It's, it's a crucial role because it allows your defense to play a very different style of football, right? Um, you can't play a high defensive line if you don't have fast players in that in that position. German, in Germany, we have been doing this for quite some time. I mean, you look go all the way back to Philipp Lahm, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the way he interpreted that role was very different than to fullbacks in the past. Brazil do the same thing. Um, Brazilian fullbacks are hardly ever defenders. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do just, you mean, uh, Marcelo? He's he's a great defender. I don't know what you're talking about. Great player, not a great defender. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I like I like this Rigolon deal, and you know, I had I had this thought that maybe um, for Tottenham to get Rigolon, uh, they actually bail as part of the the transfer sum that they had to pay to Real Madrid. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you get Regulon if you also take Bale. Um, <laughs> sort of the sort of deal. <laughs> it kind of feels that way, right? Because yeah. it was a package. And um it's it does feel that way that um I think that Bale is quite happy to go back to Tottenham. Still don't think Tottenham really need him. I mean there's all this talk now that Dele Ali could possibly leave the club and head to Paris Saint Germain. Um, and I, I'm not sure about that, but Regulon is, is a great signing for them. I, uh, I, I don't quite get it, but I think there's, uh, after watching the All or Nothing series on Prime Video, it's, it's pretty clear Jose Mourinho doesn't, uh, doesn't have the best of opinions of, of Dele Alli and his, his mm. training, <laughs> his, his want to, to put out his best at training as well as he does uh, in matches. But um, that's, you know, I, I think after this weekend, I feel a little bit better about my pick for Spurs in the top four in the Premier League. Uh, obviously, they had the big win, and Jungman Son had a, a huge match, uh, and they're going to rely on, on Kane and Son all year long. But mm -hmm. now, you, 
like I, I do rank Bale fifth on this list uh, in, in the transfers, um, and I have Jota at uh, Liverpool at number four. But to speak about Bale, I, I just don't know what to expect. I mean, he's 31 now. He didn't show the personality, like he didn't show the best personality while being phased out by Zidane at uh, at Real Madrid. And I, I can't imagine it was easy going from, you know, world's most expensive transfer to bench enthusiasts. <laughs> but it, it seemed like, you know, he didn't he didn't give a damn and he and he acted out and he, you know, was was golfing and when he should have been yeah. training and, and, you know, all these weird random things that he did, I mean, didn't help his cause. Right. So. I just wonder with with all the money that's come in for him, uh, where's his where's his give a bleep meter at, right? Yeah, and, and then going back to Jose Mourinho, um, yeah. they didn't have the best relationship at Real either. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he was a starter there, right? Um, it never really seemed to be a starter. For I mean, for the amount of money that Madrid paid for him, um, that must go down as one of the worst deals in football history. Uh, just period. <laughs> um, you forgot that he also slept on the bench. Um, yes, <laughs> of the games. it seems like sleeping on the bench, haircuts, playing golf. And yeah. I mean, in fairness, he does show up for Wales. Yeah, in fairness. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I am very curious about about this one. Really curious. And I always get the sense. I don't know how you feel about this, Dan, but I always think that comebacks are always you know, we're always happy when, when they kind of happen, when players return to their former clubs, but rarely does it all work out well. That's just yeah. my personal sense. I think I can, I can on top of my head, only think about one player returning where it worked out well, and that was in a different sport. I was in basketball with Michael Jordan. Um, <laughs> right. I can't think of really a player coming back and it being, you know, a shoe-in and working out well on yeah. top of my head. Not, not in this kind of a scenario, uh, maybe more so when you know uh, Argentinian or Brazilian player goes back to their their home club to finish out their careers. Yeah. Uh, Carlos Tevez comes to mind with that. You know he's he's yeah. still going at, at Boca, but um, rarely. You're right uh, in this type of scenario where the player is still expected to be big and is expensive, and all of these things. Uh, it it doesn't necessarily work out all that well. We'll see with Bale. Uh, mm-hmm. I I I just got to see. You know, if he if he gives a damn, then then he'll add uh, a little bit of extra to to Spurs, who could use some more game breaking talent. But yeah. um, I, I think that's still a very much a question mark. Uh, finally, to close out the list, number five for me is Vidal to Inter. Um, mm. Look, Vidal as a in his prime was one of the best box to box midfielders. Uh, absolutely loved him when he was at Juventus under Antonio Conte then. Um, and at Bayern, he was great as well. But uh, and, and Conte is a madman, you know. Like he he loves certain player types and will that. love. Uh, <laughs> he he loves uh, Vidal forever. Um, but you know, this is also the same coach that once threatened to leave Juventus if the club didn't complete the signing of Emanuele Giaccarini. And uh, if you don't know who that is, it's because yeah, it's a very nondescript player that's just you know a kind of a squad rotation type of a player. And yet the manager was like, I absolutely have to have this player or I'm gone. And that's kind of what he did here with Inter yeah. uh, with with Vidal. And uh, he's fine as a bit part player at this stage of his career, but I'm not expecting him to move the needle too much for Inter's Scudetto hopes. We'll have a little bit more because we do have a question on this Mm. uh, coming up towards 
the end of the show here today in injury time. Your questions always welcome at DanRicho underscore on Twitter. Uh, so a couple of quick thoughts before we, we finish this up. Uh, over the weekend, we saw um, tough goes for Chelsea and Manchester United. You mentioned how Chelsea needs a center back. Manchester United desperately need a center half. Uh, they're still deploying Victor Lindelof, for Christ's sake. Yeah. So y- you know that they need it. Um, if, if you had to sign one center back right now, who would you sign? I can sign anyone. Yeah. Doesn't okay. Dayot no Upamecano. budget. Budget doesn't matter. Who is it? Da- Dayot Upamecano. But um, if you're a Manchester United listener and you're listening to this and say, "Oh yeah, Dayot Upamecano from RB Leipzig. He was fantastic in the Champions League." Uh, unfortunately, he's not available. But that's the... <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. Next year. Next right. year. He will be available next year. Um, exit clause kicks in in the summer of 2021. Um, but yeah, right now he signed a new contract and you can't actually, um, I know people th- say, well, money solves everything. Uh, in this case, it doesn't because like, I think he has a no move. There is a, there's a no move agreement for the season in this contract as well. So he's staying, um, but this is a defender I would sign if, you know, money was no objection. If, um, there was no special contract clauses or anything in place, he is. Um, a monster of a centre-back fantastic player um, he's a reason why Leipzig were able to kick out Atletico Madrid in, in the Champions League quarterfinals right and um, become the youngest club I think to reach this Champions League semi-final um, and, and I played actually quite well against PSG too the result in the end was a bit more clear than the, the game suggests but yeah if I could sign any centre-back him 100% I would say um uh, Upa Makano, I think, is is top of a lot of lists in this yeah. conversation. Um, Koulibaly is uh, at Napoli is a fantastic defender. Oh, he yeah. brings size, speed, um, can give you a goal here and there, which is uh, always wanted from a center half, as we see with uh, you know Virgil Van Dijk and uh, Sergio Ramos, who have really been goal scorers the last couple mm. of years for for Real Madrid and, and Liverpool. But Koulibaly, like the number is obviously scary. To pay $100 million for a player that's into his late 20s uh, is very scary. You wonder if there's going to be zero return on investment, of course, if you're any club that is purchasing that player. But I think if you need a ready-made, world-class center back to step into your team right now, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, Manchester City, Manchester United, <laughs> yeah. uh, Khalidou Koulibaly is, is the name for me. I agree with that too. It's a great player. Yeah, and uh, was was good for Napoli over the weekend as uh, Serie A kicked off uh, as well. Uh, we've got lots of your questions uh, to get to at the end of today's show, um, but I, I just wanted to get a quick thought. The Bundesliga is back on Sportsnet uh, for this season, and. We had Bayern started off with an 8-0 victory over Schalke. Uh, and immediately everybody's like, okay, uh, <laughs> Bayern's still very much the favorite, which uh, I think we all knew. Um, but also Dortmund with their 3-0 win over Gladbach. Like, yeah. Gladbach is no pushover here. No. Uh, they finished fourth last season, and Dortmund looked by far the better team. I chose Dortmund to win over Bayern this year. 
Uh, how crazy is my Dortmund pick, uh, Manuel, for you, as you the Bundesliga expert around these parts? It's not the craziest uh, craziest pick in the world. I think that um, this is the year that Dortmund could challenge Bayern because they it looks like and I, I before I went on the show I recorded the Gegen pressing podcast and Chris Williams and I said well we're probably going to talk about Jaden Sancho on the show this week next week <laughs> the week after the week after that the week after that the indication is he's staying right and uh, that means that that attack is just so scary um, mm -hmm. that that Borussia Dortmund have and it, it definitely rivals what Bayern Munich have right now with Erling Haaland who is a, a guaranteed goal a game um, just like Robert Lewandowski is a guaranteed goal a game for Bayern, right? Um, but also the support that they have in Jaden Sancho, Gio Reyna is, is looked fantastic on the weekend, right? Uh, Marco Reus is coming back to form. Torgen Hazard, yes, picked up an injury, but he, he's still in that side. And he, once he gets fit again, he's, he's, he's been a fantastic player for them. Julian Brandt and then Jude Bellingham, the young English player that they picked up. Um, over the summer from he was also a Manchester United target he just had a great game and then on top of that Emre Can um, another player who you probably know well from his time at Juventus right and mm -hmm. before that at Liverpool he provides a lot of leadership and he set up two goals as well and, and I think that they have a very strong side and the fact that they didn't really lose any of their big key names is going to help them now for me the question about this upcoming season is all about attrition like where which one of the two sides is going to break down first and it will happen even for Bayern I mean Dortmund did not play a pushover Bayern's result against Schalke did not actually shock me because Schalke have been atrocious for the last two years and they're getting just worse and worse and worse losing key players have no money um, the previous management left Schalke with so many problems that they're having a hard time to solve and I think that, therefore, the, that result wasn't that big of a surprise. I mean, Bayern also beat Barcelona 8-2, right? I mean, this is yeah. this is an <laughs> incredible, strong team. Um, but could Dortmund push them all the way? I do hope so. Um, we had a title race last year. We had a title race this year. And I hope I, we have a title race in this, this season as well. Um, it, it'd be great. Because like, Bayern did not win the last two Bundesliga titles um, the easy way. They had to really work for it. And I, I think it actually helps Bayern internationally as well in the Champions League if they get pushed domestically and I think Dortmund will push them all the way this year I also uh, chose Schalke to uh, end up relegated this that's year. not a bad choice yeah <laughs> <laughs> I feel pretty good about that one after the yeah. first week uh, but the Bundesliga is back on Sportsnet you can watch it uh, on your main Sportsnet channels each and every weekend check sportsnet.ca slash schedule uh, to see which matches are upcoming and which channel you can find them on Stan Riccio and Manuel Veth. Coming up next, the North Star Shield was handed out to a familiar face this weekend. Bobby Smirniotis, the coach of Forge FC, guides his team to a second consecutive Canadian Premier League championship, and he joins us next here on A Kick in the Grass. Back in on A Kick in the Grass, Dan Riccio and Manuel Veth here with you across the Sportsnet radio network and on your favorite podcatcher. Now joining us on the show, two-time North Star Shield champion, Forge FC completed their title-winning campaign at the Island Games over the weekend, a 2-0 victory over HFX Wanderers. 
And now joining us is manager of Forge FC, Bobby Smirniotis. Thanks for this, Bobby. Congrats on another win. Thank you very much, gentlemen, and thank you for having me on. So, uh, I, my, honestly, my, my biggest curiosity is, how does the celebration go when you're in the bubble with your opponent? I mean, that's, that's kind of got to be awkward for them, I guess. Yeah, it's quite interesting. <laughs> so, uh, what happened was once the final whistle went, uh, the bubble basically uh, burst. Uh, so, <laughs> so w we actually got to go out uh that night we got to get out of the hotel so it was uh, it was quite good for the guys and uh, they didn't know that till uh my talk with them after the match so it was uh it was another cause for celebration amongst the group yeah and that's uh that's it, it was uh quite the run you guys had playing pretty much every three days over a over a 40 day span um how how did you how did you manage the group through this this grueling process and and keep them keep them focused on, on the prize at hand? Yeah, the biggest thing we talked about before heading over to uh, Charlottetown was that this would probably be the biggest footballing challenge that uh, any of them would have to go through in their careers. You know, both physically, uh, mentally, uh, emotionally, um, from all angles, and uh, we had to look at an ultimate goal. And of course, every team wants to win championships, uh, but our guys have a great focus when it comes to these things. So we made sure that one, it was a, it was a business trip for us. You know, everything was uh, was done with the uh, greatest amount of structure and discipline amongst the group. Just you know, from being on time to every meeting to every meal, um, and just coming out and competing every day in training. You know, this wasn't an easy event. Uh, to play in it wasn't an easy event to turn around as uh, as coaches you know we're playing every uh, three days our first I believe four matches we had two days in between each game so it was a big challenge for the staff uh, challenge for the players but you just had to keep it positive throughout you know with the team we had a we had a plan um, for the first round on how we thought we can uh, manage the squad manage the squad to keep them healthy keep them fresh and it worked out for us Bobby, I'm I'm really curious. What was life like inside the bubble? Like, what was the day-to-day -day life like? Yeah, have you ever uh, been in the military? <laughs> you know, that's one way of uh, of one saying it. So I was uh, I don't want to say uh, fortunate enough, but I was fortunate enough to spend six months in the uh, Greek military many years ago, and it, it brought me back to that point um, where you're just on a schedule. It's uh, three square meals a day, as they say, and. Uh, <laughs> And you go from there, you know, we got time to go out and train every day and back in. So it was, it was different. Um, the guys embraced it. Yeah, you know, we tried to uh, make sure that the environment, we're doing a lot of activities as a team, in groups, just even outside of the game. You know, so it wasn't so much, hey, you know, we've got video meeting after video meeting, but, you know, we tried to break it up with, uh, with different things, games, watching different, uh, you know, docs as a team, you know, in our, in our meeting room. So you just had to make sure you changed it up and also gave the guys some freedom within there just to have their own time. So how, do, how were preparations for, for this tournament, Bobby? Just, uh, you know, in the sense you, you didn't start your season on time and, and you've got to try and keep these athletes uh, ready to go and uh, in as best condition as you can possibly have them for when the season and when the Island Games actually did start. Yeah, so uh, like I've mentioned uh, before and, uh, and many other times, you know, it goes back to March and I think it was March 11th and us uh, having to shut down our, our preseason training camp and, uh, and where we were at that point. And uh, we just tried to equip the guys with as much 
um, you know, things that they could have with them at home um, to be able to stay fit. And one of the biggest things was uh, making sure that they all had their load tracking management systems. Um, so they were responsible for the daily workouts that we had on, on Zoom altogether, uh, plus their daily physical routines that then they had to uh, basically log in and get all their information in by a certain time each day. So that created that, that sense of culture and responsibility around the guys that were working towards something. We didn't know what exactly it was, uh, but we wanted to make sure it's when we get back to the field where we're already a couple of steps ahead. And as coaches, we knew what kind of physical condition the players were in. So, I mean, that helped us uh, tremendously. And getting back to Tim Hortons field, uh, which was another interesting experience, you know, when you start training with six guys on the field at once. You know, so we have this large field at, uh, at Tim Hortons Field and you got six guys out there, three coaches, everyone's 50 meters apart. Um, so it was, uh, it, was, it was something else. And then you finally are into having the whole team together, but it's non-contact, can't play games, can't play scrimmages. And we basically had, I believe it was two weeks of full training before we uh, shipped off to uh, Prince Edward Island. So I commend the guys for all the work they've put in for just you know, being able to stay with the program, making sure that, you know, everything was good also from the health standards aspect, um, because that was also important for the guys. You know, we asked them to sacrifice a lot before we left for this event and just, you know, staying home, staying uh, self-quarantined for a couple of weeks before we went and all in a goal to do what uh, we were able to accomplish this past Saturday. Bobby, building a championship team is hard enough. You've done that once. Now you build a second championship team in this craziest of environments. Um, how did you go about this? I mean, not only did you have to keep the team that you already had together and improve on it, but you had to do it in this environment. How do you even tackle a task like that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing goes back to our, our planning from before 2019. You know, the most important thing is uh, I always like to build with a vision uh, ahead. Um, so you could always build a team first for a year or, or in this league, build it a little bit for a longer period. So the idea was before 2019, we wanted to build a team that was going to be here for at least two years, mm -hmm. you know, with the contracts, with bringing players in and just, you know, having that commitment to the players and just, and just believing in that whole group. Um, so I think, you know, that's one of the biggest things uh, we've done, because if you want to create that culture of winning, if you want to create the culture of, of the hunger to compete, um, you also have to have consistency within the group. And I think that's that helped us tremendously uh, this year. And of course, it was also a challenging year this year when you know you can't really go out in the market and maybe get some of the players uh, you wanted to um, earlier on. Um, you know we had a couple of players uh, you know internationally um, that we had eyed and then you know all of a sudden COVID hits and uh, all of that goes uh, goes to the side and then you start looking again domestically at which players are, are available, uh, which players fit into what we want to do. And then you look at two uh, simple signings in Mobabuli and Maxime Tissot um, who come in and have the quality, have the quality to play and they just fit in perfectly into the group and they also bring a mentality where they want to compete and they want to win. The, the story of Mobabuli is, is a great one. I remember covering him at TFC uh, a number of years ago when he broke through to the senior squad there. You could see all the talent that he had, but it never really materialized for him. And, you know, that's, that's just kind of one of those stories of what the Canadian Premier League is all about, is, is giving Canadians chances and maybe even second chances to, to prove that, that they have what it takes to be a professional footballer. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Mo's a, a, ma a young man that I've known for years uh, from his youth days and then uh, obviously had him at Sigma when he left from, uh, from TFC. And he's taken a strange and different journey than a lot of players. And, uh, you know, he's a prime example of what happens when you don't have your own domestic league. You know, it's... Uh, mm. One Saturday, he's playing at the uh, at the Hershey Center, or now Paramount Center in uh, Mississauga, and on Wednesday, he's sending me a text message from Syria. <laughs> so it's uh, it was quite the interesting uh, storyline, and you know he came back, uh, you know a while ago, and we'd been in contact, and he had some problems a little bit with his uh, with his contract um, over there. Uh, but once uh, you know things were clear this year, and uh, looking at how things and, and how we wanted to round out the roster. Um, he made a lot of sense because the one thing we know is uh, he may have not been playing at the highest level in the last year and a half, but he has quality in his game and he has moments of brilliance. And in a, an event like we were going into in the island games, uh, sometimes you need moments of brilliance. And uh, I thought he was excellent. Speaking of TFC, Bobby, that's your opponent in the uh, Canadian Championship final. Now, we don't actually know when that game is going to take place. Um, rumor has it that it's going to be after the TFC season is finished, and that could be in December. That's, does that seem fair to you, um, having that long of a gap and, until what is you know, essentially a qualification spot for the CONCACAF Champions League? Yeah, I think it's the, the toughest thing to talk about is whether something is fair or not fair in, two, in 2020. You know, mm. just everything is different. Um, there's circumstances uh, that are out of everyone's control. Um, would we as a club uh, like to play that game sooner than later? Of course. Now, we also have um, the positive end that uh, we hope to be competing in CONCACAF League in uh, October 20th to the 22nd period. Mm -hmm. So the team is uh, staying fit. The team is ready to compete. Uh, the team is ready to go into some different challenges in CONCACAF League. And... Uh, in the end, we'll take that date when it comes, and the, the one thing that's for sure is we'll be as prepared as possible. What happens now for, for your players, Bobby? I mean, the, ne the next CPL season isn't slated to start until 2021. Um, I'm sure some guys want to want to get out and have some games. It's, it's quite the long layoff. Yeah, well, so we've given the guys a, a week off just because right. uh, they fully deserve it. Just get back, enjoy time with uh, family, loved ones, and just, you know, decompress a little bit. And then we'll get back into training, and we've got three and a half weeks till we hope to be playing in CONCACAF League. And if we can be successful in one round, that'll give us uh, another game there. Uh, and then we keep on going. So I think on our end, uh, we're, we're in good shape to keep these guys going, keep them motivated, keep them training. Um, you know, the plan was always uh, to keep the, the group together as long as possible, uh, weather permitting, because we do have a long off-season in general, mm -hmm. and this one for a lot of teams uh, is even longer. Um, so it's important to keep the guys uh, in the environment, uh, to keep the guys training, and we'll see what we can do best to have some friendly matches with some local competition in the meantime, um, just so we make sure we keep the competitive edge in the guys up. How confident are you that this CONCACAF league is going to go ahead? And did you hear any plans on how CONCACAF is planning to play this tournament? Yeah, so right now the draw is today, and mm -hmm. it may be going on right now um, for us to find out who will we be playing. And, you know, from their end, everything is, uh, is a go. Uh, but like we know, things change day yeah. to day. So, you know, we're planning to be ready to play on October 20th, 21st, or 22nd, whichever day that uh, the draw brings us into. 
but you know, on my end, it's I think it'll be a last-minute decision on what happens, uh, just based on what's going on in the world. But we have to prepare as per usual uh, to go in there and compete because this is a very important tournament for our club. Uh, and just for the culture of our club. You know, I always say it's if you want to be a big club, if you want to be a great club anywhere in the world, you want to compete in your continental competitions. Mm-hmm. And those nights are, are special nights. And, you know, our nights last year playing um, both Antigua and Olympia were very special moments for our club. And they've allowed us to be where we are today. They, they gave us that uh, concept of, uh, of competing and being champions and what comes along with it last year. And this year, and it's something that the guys really enjoyed last year, uh, from staff to players, and it's something we want to keep on doing as we go forward. And you know, we've given ourselves an opportunity, obviously, to compete this year uh, by winning on Saturday. We'll compete next year, and then we've given ourselves another bonus match with TFC. How did you go about building the club philosophy, Bobby, when when you set out on this journey in in 2018 with Forge FC? Yeah, the biggest thing was uh, my belief in Canadian soccer players. Uh, my belief in Canadian football players was always at the forefront. Uh, my past experience in this game uh, locally was with, uh, with Sigma FC, an academy I founded many years ago, with the belief in Canadian players to play at the highest level. Um, so what I wanted to do was translate that whole philosophy, that whole mentality now into the professional game and making sure that we're giving Canadian players an opportunity to compete, uh, an opportunity to excel, and an opportunity to grow uh, beyond our borders, uh, because I think that's the most important thing uh, to do. And, and we saw that last year. You know, I'll always go back to a few of the CONCACAF League games, and uh, we beat Olympia at Tim Hortons Field mm-hmm. uh, with nine Canadians on the pitch, seven mm-hmm. of which were amateurs the year before. And Olympia is a juggernaut in CONCACAF uh, football. Um, so a big belief in Canadian players, uh, a big belief in creating a culture and a structure based on the, the purest form of football. You know, I'm a football purist, which means I like the good things in the game. <laughs> and from occasion, we'll change tactics up a little bit um, in certain situations. But it's just that belief in Canadian players. With all of that in mind, the Canadian Premier League now, two seasons played, um, there's a as you said, it has been really a great place to showcase Canadian talent. What have been the, the positives and what have been the negatives in terms of this league developing Canadian talent in your mind? What, where can the league improve and where have they already got it right? Yeah, I think where we've got it right is, uh, one, we've got a league and there's, uh, there's the focus on Canadians. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that uh, six start a game, uh, I think, is, uh, is excellent. Um, because you want to bring foreign players into a league, especially like this, that make a difference or, or fill a hole that maybe is not there in your organization, um, that's not in your area. Um, but we don't just want to bring foreigners to bring foreigners. Mm. You know, we've played the last two years with, with four of seven foreign spots um, because we believe there's, these are quality players. Um, these are players that have an upside and you know will we'll help the club and can possibly help themselves. So when I look at it from there, it's we've given an opportunity for players um, who before uh, didn't have the chance to compete at a pro level uh, to be do it in great structures. You know, I, I look at what we have at, at Tim Hortons Field and as an organization as Forge, and it's the top level of professionalism mm. from facilities, uh, from everything that's uh, provided to the players. And I think that's only going to get better um, as the league grows. 
with all mm. of the teams as everyone starts building more of their infrastructure. Uh, because at first you, you build a team uh, and some places are, are starting to build their infrastructure uh, even more thoroughly. And I think that will help. As we go forward, it's, it's a matter of making sure we unearth the players. Um, the guys like Tristan Borges last year, mm. who were maybe sitting in football uh, uh, abyss, um, you know, after being done at Heronvane, not knowing what he's going to do with his future, making sure those players in the ages of, you know, 18 to 21, you know, we're making sure that those top young players are able to play matches because that's the most important thing. The mm. most important thing is when you have a talent, it's not to remain a talent. It's to play yeah. games. And I think that's the one thing we always have to get better at. And uh, we've got a lot of good players over the years um, that we've seen who maybe at 16 and 17 are excelling. And by 21, uh, they're nowhere on the radar anymore. And there's other players we haven't heard of who have been playing games at some type of level mm. over those years that are making the steps. So I think that's one of the things that we need to make sure uh, we keep our eye on as, as clubs, as organizations, and, and make sure we've got a good beat on whether we're doing it internally through, through academies, through affiliations, through our, our regional networks to make sure we know who those players are and at the right moments bringing them through uh, this league and then hopefully having more success stories like Tristan Borges moving on. Yeah, and it's been uh, it's been awesome seeing what you guys have built at Forge and rewarded with it as well with uh, second North Star Shield. Bobby, uh, congratulations again on another title win to you and your players and being Canadian champs. Best of luck moving forward. Thank you very much, gentlemen, and keep on doing a great job covering the game across the country. Just as important it is for us to be on the field, it's important for people like yourselves to, to cover the game, cover the game from all aspects, and just get the word out there. Thanks a lot, Bobby. All the best. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. That was Coach Bobby Smirniotis of Forge FC, champion of the Canadian Premier League, two years running. Coming up next with Dan Riccio and Manuel Veth, your questions. Yes, it is injury time to close out the show next here on A Kick in the Grass. Final segment of A Kick in the Grass. Dan Riccio in with special guest co-host Manuel Beth. Follow me on Twitter at DanRiccio underscore. You can send a DM for your questions each and every week on Injury Time. And follow our special guest co-host Manuel Beth on Twitter by his name. Quick fantasy Premier League update after week two. Uh, officially, the week one winner was Gorilla B, Graham Bio. Uh, so nice job, Graham, with your win. 100 points uh, backed up by the Salah captaincy. And uh, this week, Pathetico Madrid. Uh, Des the Barber, my barber here in Vancouver, uh, picking up the 87 points. He had a duo of uh, Sun Young Min and Harry Kane uh, to lead the way, but uh, not over yet as we still have a couple of games here on the Monday. Uh, Hamilton Steelers on 82 points and Kevin De Bruyne still to play for him. Congrats to both on a fantastic week. All right, it's injury time here on A Kick in the Grass where we take your questions here on the show and speaking of des the barber well des has a question for us came through on instagram do you think liverpool locked up the premier league with the tiago signing manuel oh 
That's a very good question. Um, I think from judging from what we saw in the first two games, I mean, they beat Leeds 4-3 in a crazy match, right? And then 2-0 against uh, Chelsea. I think Liverpool will be the team to beat, but I, I think it's going to be a very tight race this year with Manchester City. And um, I, would give, I would give that title race a 50-50 between Manchester City and uh, Liverpool. I think no one else comes close um, in the Premier League. I think even Chelsea, with all the players that they brought in, um, sorry to all Chelsea fans listening to this <laughs> podcast, but I just don't see it. The gap between the gap between the top two in the Premier League is this, is similar to the gap between the top two in any league in in Europe right now. It's just so massive, right? And I just can't see uh, those two teams losing enough games to make it interesting for anyone else. So it will be. I mean, and Liverpool have locked up a top two spot with that signing. Let's say it that way. I am uh, less confident after after they uh, made the signings over the weekend, but uh, I had Manchester City to win the title at the start of the year. I will stick with that right now. Mm. And as for Chelsea, I said it, um, their poor defending and poor goalkeeping will be a big factor for them and also gelling. And I don't, I just don't see them currently having that chemistry that you need to get consistent results on a week-to-week basis over the course of 38 fixtures. Uh, Another question coming from East Van Philly on Twitter. With the loss of Thiago, uh, any rumors of Bayern Munich uh, might try to keep Hernandez in the back and experiment with Alfonso Davies further up the pitch, Manuel? Yeah, I mean, that thought had occurred to me. Um, we saw Hernandez start um, the, the game on, on Saturday, uh, Friday, sorry, and um, he got his got full 90 minutes in. I, I think we can put that down to um, rotation. Bayern will play a lot of games, right? And uh, Hansi Flick has said that they, they will have to give Davies a few more games uh, off this year than they had to last year because of the amount of games that are going to be played. But it's an interesting thought because I, I mean, we've seen him in Vancouver, Dan, and he, yep. he usually played in a more attacking role. And we know that he can't just play left winger; he can also play as a number ten. Um, he has an, an enormous amount of um, possibilities. When I mean, he could also play in a Jaden Sancho role that Dortmund um, mm-hmm. use him in as a, as a second striker, almost right. It, it has been done. So. I think that um, they're very happy with him as a left back and I think that they they love what he can provide the team because he doesn't really often play as a left back for Bayern. He plays almost like as a secondary secondary winger. And I think that's what they love, that overlapping, um, especially when he's going to play together with Leroy Sané. There's a scary thought and we can't wait to see that happening. We might actually see that on Thursday in the UEFA Super Cup, right? Um, When they play Sevilla. So... um, Hernandez, yeah, I, I think for Bayern, they will give him another year and see if he can finally uh, lock a position in, in the back four um, because they spend a lot of money for him. Bayern don't often pay a lot of money and they paid a lot of money for him. And I think it would be a huge defeat for them internally if that transfer doesn't work out. So I don't think, unless someone comes in and offers 80 million euros, you know, basically yeah. what they paid for, uh, I can't see him leaving. Leroy Sané and uh, Serge Gnabry, uh, wow, they look good on yeah. uh, on the weekend against uh, Schalke. Uh, Mun comes in on Instagram. Even with Messi still in the league, do you think that La Liga's brand is in trouble, Manuel? 
Oh, I thought this a few times too, uh, but you could also make the argument that the leaks, you know, the leaks, it, it, their brand is in trouble because they have so focused on this whole Lionel Messi, um, Cristiano Ronaldo duopoly, right? And then yep. Cristiano Ronaldo left. And um, I think, I personally still think that La Liga is probably the best league in the world. I, I would still give it a little bit of a notch ahead of the, the Premier League and the Bundesliga, who I think rank pretty even. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that La Liga um, has, because they, they do so well in European competitions. And that's for me, that's for me the measurement, right? How well has a league done in European competitions? And um, over the years, La Liga has always done very well. But I do think the league is is losing a little bit of that prestige. I mean, this year, the, the Bundesliga internationally has been probably the best league. You know, we didn't even just, we didn't just have Bayern. We also had um, RB Leipzig in the semi-final. And uh, Borussia Dortmund were really just one goal away of knocking out PSG, who did reach the final. And in the Europa League, we had a few very good teams as well. So I, it's, I think the La Liga has to has to thought, sort of look and plan for the years after Messi because it's gonna come. Yeah. And, you know, maybe next year, maybe the year after, but he's getting to an age now where they they have to kind of rebrand themselves. And I mean, Barcelona is a shadow of the club that they used to be at the moment. And Real Madrid looked, in my opinion, to dominate that league now because Zinedine Zidane has done a very good job at that club. And um, yeah, I think that could, that could cause trouble. Um, in, in a lot of ways, if that duopoly isn't quite as strong as it used to be. Yeah, the brand, Real Madrid's brand isn't changing, though, at no. the same time, right? Like, they're going to, they're not maybe buying this summer, but uh, they might just be holding off and waiting to splash the cash yeah. on Kylian Mbappe uh, for next summer window. Uh, Mike, the Victoria Gunner on Twitter, with Arturo Vidal now confirmed signed with Inter, do you guys believe that could be the missing piece for ending Juventus Scudetto dominance? If not, what are they needing? Uh, I'll, you know what? As the resident Serie A expert, uh, I'll handle this one, Manuel. And I have, uh, I've been very critical of Juventus over time. I don't love the idea of uh, Morata signing Alvaro Morata, which uh, is being reported this morning. His medical could be in the next couple of days uh, in a return to Juventus. Uh, I think they're doing a lot of moves that just cover up Band-Aids around their squad uh, early returns on Andrea Pirlo and his managing ability was pretty good over the weekend, but you know they were just playing Sampdoria, so not really a test just yet uh, for Juventus. They will play Rome next weekend. My biggest concern with Inter is their coach, Antonio Conte. While he can be brilliant, he can also fly off the handle, almost left over the summer. And I don't know if... Like the thing about Juventus and, and every great team, every dominant team, like Bayern does this too. Uh, they just find ways to get results even when they're not at their best. And that's how you win eight championships uh, or nine in the case of Juventus in a row. They find ways to get results. And Inter last year just didn't do that. They dropped points against weak teams. They did not win the big games against Juventus and... I think Inter's got a good enough squad to compete with Juventus right now, but I just don't see where their game-breaking player like a Cristiano Ronaldo uh, that gets those results in those tight games 
Um, I, I just don't see them having that, and they're not buying that player this summer, and Arturo Vidal is certainly not that Manuel. No, and um, I think a friend of mine covers Inter Milan full-time, and he was absolutely livid about this transfer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he he really wanted Tomali instead, who ended up in, yeah. at Milan, right? And yeah, he one just, of my favorite signings of the summer. That one. Yeah, well, because you know it's it's a it's a smart move, and uh, Inter opted to go for Arturo Vidal instead, and that's a typical Antonio Conte signing. And mm-hmm. Antonio Conte is so hit and miss. I had the how do I even describe this pleasure of experiencing <laughs> an, an Antonio Conte press conference at Borussia Dortmund. You know, when Dortmund came back from two 0 down to win the game at Signal yeah. Iduna Park in in the fall, and. Uh, Wow, what a character. <laughs> I mean, I, my Italian isn't great, but I understood what was going on. And uh, yeah. wow, I mean, um, I think he is, he has his brilliant moments. Uh, he, ha- he is a coach who can get a lot of things right. But if it goes wrong, it really goes wrong. And um, I, I don't see Arturo Vidal as being that piece. I, I just can't see it. Uh, at Manuel Veth on Twitter and of course check out his work at uh, Transfer Market USA and uh, the Gag and Pressing podcast as well. Manuel, it's uh, it's been a pleasure having you step in for Jeff Blair this week. Thank you. Yeah, it's been an honor. Um, I really enjoyed this and thank you for having me on. Uh, you can always send your questions at Dan Richo on Instagram and at Dan Richo underscore. We'll answer them each week in injury time back next monday with another edition of a kick in the grass